Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. What I've learned after pastoring, this next August will be 40 years, and I've learned in the body of Christ nationally and internationally, about every decade, God comes out with a message for the body, something he wants to remind us of, or sometimes something he wants to teach us that maybe was uh, happening and understood years ago, but everybody's forgotten about it, or maybe we've not heard about it yet. And our, our speaker, Pastor Daniel Grothy, um, from Colorado Springs, I believe God has given him such a message, and it's blowing up all over the country, and we are so excited that he's with us today and that he was able to come here and share this message with us. It's a life changer. I've already had the opportunity of hearing it twice, and I can't wait to hear it a third time. So I'm excited he's with us over in Boardman, guys at TCI, online in the chat rooms. And can we just give it up here and warn too for Pastor Daniel Grothy as he comes forth to minister the word of God. Thanks, my brother. Good morning, Believers Church. How you doing? All right, we need a little more. How you doing? You talk to me. All right. So my goal, I have two simple goals. I hope in the name of Jesus to be able to proclaim the word with some clarity. And the second thing is to not fall in the baptistry. I do not want to be a YouTube sensation today, so Lord, protect me. Uh, you know, <laughs> Paul prayed from getting thrown into prison. I'm praying from not falling in the baptistry. So anyway, glad to be here today from Colorado Springs. Uh, I, I want to be like your pastor's. 40 years, faithful, rooted, fruitful, clean, unscandalized, just steady as they go. So can we say thank God for the Caminettis today? What an honor it is to stand here in this place, to be in this pulpit. So what I'm going to do today is I'll read the text. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. So if you're new to the Bible, it's the first page. Turn to the first page of your textbooks. And what I'll do, if you don't have it, it'll be on the screen. I'm going to read these verses. I'll pray, and then we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord today out of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea. Now pay attention to the physicality and the creatureliness and the creation language here in this text. I need you to flag that. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And then God blessed them. This is what he does. He blesses. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. Fill the earth, the creational language. Subdue it. And rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Let's pray. Lord, we need to hear from you. How simple can we say it? All week long, we've been hearing from the news pundits. All week long, we've been hearing about wars and rumors of wars. All week long, we've been hearing about recession and economic inflation and record numbers. And Lord, we pray that all of the noise would be silenced. 
so that today we can hear from the God who speaks. Genesis 1 says that into the darkness you said, let there be light. So we pray, Lord, do it again today. Speak to us, invigorate us, transform us, make us your people, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Six, six years ago, I got a call to come out to my grandparents' house in Idaho. So we had a big family reunion out there. All 50 of us, all 28 of their great-grandchildren were there. Every, no one was missing. And Grandpa Dan, Daniel Wilson is his name, was his name. I've named after him Daniel Wilson Grothy. And my firstborn boy is Wilson James Grothy because I love that guy so much. He was getting ready to enter his rest. And Grandma Wheezy and him, Louise Wheezy Wilson, they'd been married 66 years. And so we showed up in Idaho on the land, right on the Snake River where the, you know, the Nez Perce Indian tribe lives. It's just beautiful and, and wonderful, small town, rural America. And I walked back into his bedroom. He was on his, his what would become his deathbed. And Grandma Weezy sitting next to him, and he said, Daniel, I'm ready to meet the Lord. I've, I've lived 86 years. I've been, you know, I've done my best. But there's one thing. He said, I haven't been baptized yet. Would you baptize me? And I said, Grandpa Dan, I would be honored to baptize you. And he couldn't get up out of the bed, so we brought in two bowls of water and two towels. And I poured some water on his head, and I said, and I baptize you in the name, just like we did today. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the mighty name of Jesus. And I wiped his head with that towel. And then I went down to his feet, and I poured water on his feet and had the towel there. And I said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son. Just you could hear a pin drop, all 50 of us in the room. And he closed his eyes and he said, there is no more fear. And a few days later, he entered his rest. It was an incredible honor to stand at my own grandfather's funeral and to officiate it. I got to preach at his funeral. And what I saw that day is the entire community, Christ followers and people who said, I don't give a dang about God, but that's a good man right there. I'm coming to honor a good man. And 500 people gathered in this small community. And in the presence of the, the Lord, they remembered a great man. And that day, I saw the power of place lived out. Dan and Wheezy Wilson, grandma's 90 now. She still lives on that same land. And they lived there their entire lives, farming, honoring people, serving people, four generations of family in the region. And when people were on the brink and they didn't have money, grandma and grandpa somehow, some way would bring groceries over and fill their pantry and fill their freezer. And they'd say, bless you in Jesus' name. And people who were about to get evicted from their homes, somehow, someway, grandma and grandpa would find $1,000 cash and put it in an envelope and slide it across the table and walk away and say, bless you in the name of Jesus. Two people living a life of faithfulness in one place over the decades. It will change the world. I didn't know this until I got to seminary, but about 10 years ago, I was reading, and I discovered through church history, of course, the saints of old would take vows, right? And I knew about many of the vows, vows of chastity with their sexuality, that our bodies are not our own. We were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Be clean. 
Don't run around. Stay faithful, right? We, I knew about the vow of chastity with sexuality. I also knew about the vow of charity with their resources, that God has blessed you to be a blessing, Genesis 12. And through your offspring, I will bless all the nations of the earth. So open your hearts and open your pocketbooks and be generous in Jesus' name. I knew about the vow of chastity. I knew about the vow of charity. And of course, I knew about the vow of obedience to scripture, that I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the word of God God is flawless. And, but what I didn't know is that the very first vow that the saints of old were called to take was the vow of stability in place. Essentially, what they were saying is, look, if you want to follow God, if you want to build the kingdom, if you want to be faithful, what you do is you find a place, you find your people, and you put down roots, and then you try to die there. That's what the vow of stability was. Like, don't bounce around. Don't run around the globe. Don't think the grass is greener on the other side. Don't live these uprooted lives, harried and frustrated and flurried. Like, find a place, find a people, put down roots, bear fruit, and then let them put you in the ground decades from now. The vow of stability in place. So today what I want to do is talk about the power of place. And I'll put three statements in front of you about what the vow of stability does for us. So here's statement number one. Through the vow of stability, God wants to give us a gift. Everyone say a gift. Through the vow of stability, God wants to give us a gift. Now, typically, when we think about the commands of God, and I don't know where this happened in us, but we think God gives us commands because he's some curmudgeonly, crotchety old man in the skies who just wants to make us miserable and see if we can jump over the high bar. And if we can, then he'll let us into heaven. But God is just trying to make us miserable. No, anytime God gives us a command... It's because God loves us and God wants to protect us and God wants to bless us. So Adam and Eve, stay away from that tree, not because I'm against you, but because I'm for you. <laughs> it, like, so God gives us this gift. God gives us this call to be faithful to a place because he wants to bless us. But what happens as we live out this vow of stability? First, I think it's really important. We've, we've read Genesis 1, but think about Genesis 2. What's the very first gift that God gives humankind? The very first gift he gives us is the gift of place. Here's the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Fish, fish in the sea and birds in the sky and go for it. And you're my superintendents. I've made you in my image. I've blessed you. I've made you creators. Now go. What do you want to name the animals, Adam? And Genesis 2, the very first gift that God gives humankind is the gift of place. And you turn the page to Genesis 3, and isn't it intriguing that the very first curse that breaks out on the earth is the curse of placelessness? They lose home. They take the, the, the story into their own hands. I will be like God. We've got it from here. We don't need you anymore. Thanks so much. Have a great day. We'll be in charge. And they take the story into their own hands. And what happens? Sin enters the earth and death with it. And the curse and the chaos of placelessness is their lot. The first gift is place. The first curse is placelessness. And so today I want to ask, like, what when we receive the gift of place, what are we receiving? The first thing that we're receiving is we're receiving security. Place gives us security. Long before Abraham Maslow crafted his hierarchy of needs in 1943, sages and philosophers and, and social scientists down through the ages has been, have been saying, 
that in the great quest of becoming a human being, we need the safety and security of a place. We need to be able to lay our heads down at night tonight and go, you know what? He's given us this day our daily bread, and he's blessed us, and he's taken care of us, and you fall asleep in the security of a place. This is why there's so much heartbreak around homelessness, because those people don't have that. And through the gift of place, God wants to give us first security. But the second thing that God wants to give us through the gift of place is an identity. I grew up in a a church. My parents have been pastors for 45 years. And this church, I had 25 extended aunties and uncles, you know, like those people, they, they weren't your biological bloodline, but they might as well have been. And they could encourage you in one breath and spank you in the next, right? Uh, can I just say that? Are we allowed to say that anymore? Like, that's where I grew up, you know, and they jerked the slack out. Young man, grow up, you know? You're, no, you're a growthy. You're better than that. And they would speak life over me. And what happened is, in this church, I had all these people who started speaking blessing and identity over me. My parents named me when I was born, but in, this, in the context of the church community, this congregation helped name me as a man of God. And they said things to me like, young man, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. I was three years old, you know? I I knew I was going to be a prophet to the nations before I knew what a prophet to the nations was, you know? And they'd say, you're you're called, and the favor of the Lord's on you, and you're blessed, and we'll pray for you. And they'd give me prophetic words, and, and I had the security of a place, but now this burgeoning identity started to grow in me. You are a man of God. You're going to change the world. God's hand is on you. And I just, I just thought that that was normal, and it ought to be, right? Through the gift of place, God gives us security. He gives us an identity. But the final thing that we see here is that through the gift of place, God helps us to practice mastery of our craft. I have a little boy in my life, my, my son's best friend, and his dad's a custom home builder. And he'll come over to our house all the time. We live on some land with them. And this boy, he's been around construction his whole life. He's three years old and had his work belt on, had tape measure on one, you know, uh, hammer hanging out the other side. And he'd come in with a, a level and he'd say, uh, Mr. Grothy, your, your, uh, your painting is, is cockeyed. It's not level. I'd say, shut up, you know. And I'd go, you go fix it, you know. And so this boy is fixing things and building things and, and framing things out and hanging drywall at seven. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? kid, you know, but this kid just, that's normal to him through his place. There's security. There's an identity and he's been able to practice himself into mastery. And I'm growing up in the church that I grew up in. My pastor was one of those pastors who would just in the middle of a church service go, uh, Daniel, why don't you come up here and give us an encouragement from the word of God? I'll just tell you growing up in a church like that, you only come unprepared to church one time. And he called me up on the stage and said, he gave me the microphone during the offering time. He said, why don't you, you know, call these people to give and give them an encouragement out of the word of God. And from that Sunday on, I started showing up to church ready to say something. And, and then he gave me my first sermon when I was 14. I was 14 and he helped me prepare it and helped me practice it and helped me think it through. And hey, don't say that. And hey, maybe get rid of that. And here's the clock in the back of the room. I want the microphone back at dot, 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 Right. And I began to develop this mastery. Think about mastery. Think about Steph and Seth Curry. 
16 years, Del Curry, their dad, played in the NBA. And those boys thought it was normal to be in the weight room, to be watching film, to be in the locker room, chumming it up with the guys, to be out balling, shooting, doing their thing. Like These boys thought that every little boy was doing that. And through their place, they had security, they had identity, and they developed mastery. Eli and Peyton Manning with Archie in the league for 13 years. Is there any wonder why those boys became who they became? Friends, When God gives us place, he wants to give us a gift. And the gift, it will protect us. It will help us understand who we've been made to be, and it will give us the chance to practice our craft. First thing, through the vow of stability, God wants to give us a gift. The second thing is through the vow of stability, God wants to make us holy. Everyone say holy. Holy. Through the vow of stability, God wants to make us holy. Now, I got a confession. When I'm by myself, I'm a pretty great Christian. I'm a, you know, put me in the prayer closet and there's no kids around and there's no dishes to be done and there's no laundry to be done and there's no one yelling to get out the door for carpool and there's no one forgetting their soccer bag and their lunch at home that I have to then take back to the school. When I'm by myself, I'm a pretty great Christian. It's all these people. I've played music my whole life, and I've done quite a bit of recording and touring, and there were some uh, tours that we went on. We were playing stadium tours, and we would fly into a city, and they'd pick us up at the airport, and before you come, they have you send what's called a rider, and on the rider, you say, this is what I want in the green room. I want room temperature Evian, and I want green M&Ms, and I want you know, Pro V1 golf balls, and I want, like, like you send whatever, it's magic. You put it on the paper, and you show up, and everything you ask for is waiting for you. And they pick you up at the airport, drive you straight to the arena, take you in, you go in, and what I realized is that I was getting everyone's best 60 seconds of their day. Hi, Daniels. Good to see you. Oh, we're gonna, gonna run to Starbucks for you. What's your whoa, two pumps? Okay, great. And and they're like catering to your every need. And then I started to think after a year, like this is bad for me. Because I go back home and my kids are not giving me the best 60 seconds of their day. And my wife is not giving, there's no such thing. Like it's just life. And you know what? You know who's made me into a follower of Jesus? Lisa and Lillian and Wilson. And Wakely, all these people giving me the best 60 seconds of their day. (sighs) That's not real life. You got to go back. It's all these people that will make you holy. Through the vow of stability in place, God wants to make us holy. But we live in a culture that does not support stability in place. And I think there's two cultural trends at play that we ought to pay attention to. The first is we live in an age of wanderlust where we're seeing all these celebrities and, and you know, they're getting on their planes and social media highlight reels and they're flying on the jet down to Turks and Caicos and they're all just skinny and gorgeous and they have hair and if they don't, they can buy it. And, and, they're, and you know, they're, they're just stunning and you watch all of this and it's coming at you all the time and what happens is the enemy goes, your life is so boring and your life is so normal and your life is so ordinary and if you were just doing the right thing, you would have this gorgeous life like everybody else. The enemy wants us to hate the place that we are. 
And we just need to name that lie. Last night, Pastor Joe Jr., he picked me up in Pittsburgh, and he was driving me over here. We got in at midnight, and we had a great chat on the way, and he said something that stopped me in my tracks. He said, long ago, I discovered the Lord said to me, you are not stuck here in the Steel Valley. You are called here to the Steel Valley. And I had got goosebumps and I shouted out loud, yes, like that's it. Like friends, the enemy wants you to think that you're trapped in the life that God has curated for you to give you as a gift. The enemy wants you to hate the good thing that the Lord has given. And we live in an age of wanderlust that is feeding our, our desire to leave the lives that God has given us because we think the grass is greener and it will destroy us. It's not helpful. And it actually cuts against the grain of the gift that God is giving us. Can you say amen today? The second thing that's at play in this moment in which we live, we are living in an age that has become pathologically conflict avoidant. Grandpa Dan and Grandma Wheezy, you know what they would do? If someone was doing something that bothered them, they would get out the rotary phone and they'd go, you know, you you hated people who had a zero in their number. Forget that guy. Let's not call him. Let's not have any friends with zeros in their numbers, you know? As the comedian said, you're making sparks as you're calling people, you know? They'd call them and say, hey, meet me at the diner on Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. And they'd sit down, they'd go, Remember when we agreed on the price of grain? We agreed, right? We shook hands. My word is my bond. I thought your word was your bond. In the last three months, you've hiked it because the market has changed, but we agreed. The contract said, you know, and, and the contract was a handshake, and that ought to be good enough. And when you don't uphold your end of the deal, it makes me feel like I can't trust you. And my grandparents would say, I want to be friends with you when we're 80, and I want to be able to go to the same church with you when we're 80, and you're 40 right now, and the way you're acting is not working toward us being able to do that. Get your life right quit that mess. And he'd go, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry, Dan. And the the price is fixed. You're good. We're we're good. Thank you. And they'd shake it out and they'd have a bad cup of black coffee. And one of them would get the tab and they'd walk out and they'd show up at 86 years old in the same church. And they'd cry at each other's funerals because when you look each other in the eye and you name the offense, it is through people that God will make us holy. And when we run away, you know what we do today? We ghost people, we cancel people, we unfollow people, we find a new church, we find a new job. Or if we can't find a new job, we walk a new route in the office to avoid the people so we don't have to make eye contact. And we're just going, la, 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 la. And we think that we'll be happy at the end of our lives. No, Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother has sinned against you, go to him. Talk it out. Work it out. Forgive each other. Be quick to repent. Be quick to be humble. Friends, if we want to become holy, remember this. Remember this. If you want to become holy, people are the great purifiers. It's the people that God will use to make you holy. I, I go to a, a Catholic monastery every year for two days, and you oh, I knew this guy was Catholic. Get him out of here. This guy's crazy. He's Catholic. No, I'm, I'm a Pentecostal charismatic from Colorado Springs, but, but I go to this Catholic retreat center to get quiet for a couple days a year and to pray and to seek the Lord and to fast and to hear from him. And every year I go, and there's this big wall with this paragraph on it that I wanted to 
put it in front of you. Let me read this to you. These are monks who have committed to live a vow of stability, to, to be faithful in a place and to be purified through the people around them. This is what it says on the wall. We vow to remain all our life with our local community. We live together, we pray together, we work together and relax together, and we give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself, or as they say, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> Ultimately, there's no escape from oneself. And the idea that things would be better someplace else is usually an illusion, and when, not if, and when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out and to restore peace. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, and forgiving. And I'll say to you, every time I've had that difficult conversation, I had one last week, called a brother. I could tell that it was just, there was something. There was, you know, when you're around someone and you know there's just something, and finally, I reached out to him and said, can I buy you lunch? And I sat down at the lunch and I said, I don't exactly know what this thing is, but I know that there's something there. And here's my goal at the end of our lunch. I want to go home tonight and lay my head on the pillow and say that we made peace and that we're okay. That's how I started the lunch. And after 90 minutes, we got tears. We're hugging it out. We're bros again. It's fine. We're good. I bless you in Jesus' name. Friends, what if we decided to live that way in our conflict-avoidant age? I'll tell you that the church would become holy again if we would look each other in the eye and repent and forgive. Can you say amen? Through the vow of stability, God wants to make us holy. The third thing, third thing I'll... I'll Put this in front of you, tell you a story, and then we'll pray. The third thing is through the vow of stability, God wants to use us to refamily the world. Everyone say refamily. God wants to use us to refamily the world. My dad grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's 67, six foot six, white hair, full head of white hair. And I thought, what happened to me? <laughs> I'm 6'1 and bald as a cue ball, and he's this just, you know, white Fabio uh, with his. And, and so, anyway, dad, you know, just been a great man of God for all these years, pastor for 45 years. He, he grew up as an only child of two parents who, on their own, were excellent people. They just didn't know how to be married. So, dad, he was a, a Tulsa oil man, like a rough neck, hands, hands, out in the fields, drilling new wells, like salt of the earth, hardworking, fall into bed tired at the end of every day. He could have worked in the Steel Valley, that kind of a guy, just decent and honorable and hardworking and showed up early and stayed late. His mother, five foot 11, elegant, gracious woman, um, both of them served in the military. He, he was in Berlin on the day that Berlin was liberated, the end of World War II. He saw it. He was there. Amazing. She was in the war, uh, sending messages back and forth from the Pentagon to the front lines all across Europe. Like Both of them, amazing people. They just didn't know how to be married. And my dad, the only child, was five years old sitting at the dinner table. And he said it was common once or twice a week for the dinner table to get flipped over and a brawl break out. 
mom and dad are using butter knives as weapons and burning each other with hot irons and just dog pile. And the five-year-old boy, David Grothy, jumps on the dog pile, trying to separate his parents, yelling, can't we just work this out? Can't we just work this out? And they'd go to bed every night. Dad, Grandpa Grothy had his own room and Grandma Grothy had her own room and little David, my dad, had his own room. And he said, I would cry myself to sleep every night. He said, I'd not been to church and and we hadn't talked about God, but I knew that there was a God and I knew that this wasn't right. And this little boy would cry himself to sleep saying, all I want is a happy family one day. God, give me a happy family. One day when he was nine, My dad walked to church on a Sunday morning, just like this morning, beautiful Sunday morning in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And his parents never went to church, but they didn't keep him from going. And so nine-year-old David Bruce Grothy walks up to Sheridan Christian Assembly in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and comes in the back door while the band is finishing up their sound check, just like this team here, sound check. And there's this nine-year-old boy standing by himself, and the worship leader goes, stop, guys, shh, shh, shh. Hey, young man, come here. And he comes down to the front. He goes, what's your name? And he said, I'm David. And he said, well, who are you here with? And he said, myself. Well, how'd you get here? Well, I walked. Well, David, we are so glad you're here. This is my wife, LaVon. We sit right here on the front row. Come up here. during. We're about to finish sound check. Come spend time with us. And then you can sit with us during the service. And then we'll take you to lunch and drive you home. That used to be in America where you could do that. And I think we ought to be able to get back to that. So they blessed him that day, honored him that day, took him into the family that day. They drove him home. The next Sunday, someone picked him up, brought him to church. And I'm just telling you, week after week, that little nine-year-old boy got swept up into the family of God. He would go home and biological family, it was really difficult and there was chaos and there was fear and there was sadness there, but he'd come to church on Sundays and they'd say, hear ye the word of the Lord. And they'd hear about the God who saves and the God who redeems and the God who sets the lonely into families. And my little nine-year-old dad got swept up into a family. 15 years old, his dad calls him one night. Dave, tell your, tell your mom I'm going to be home late. You guys have dinner without me. I love you, boy. A couple hours later, they go to the front door and there's a police officer there and a police chaplain. Is this the growthy house? Yes. Can we come in? Would you please sit down? Tonight, Nine men were drilling a new well and there was an explosion and all nine men died, including your dad and your husband. The worst moment of his life, losing the most important man in his life. And you know who came over? Vep Ellis, the worship leader from that church came over and Frank Reeder and all these people at Sheridan Christian Assembly who in the last six years had become his family of God. And they wept with him and they prayed with him and they grieved with him. They stood with him. 19 years old, my dad gets a call from his mother. She, he was a sophomore in college at Oral Roberts University there in Tulsa. And she said, Dave, I think I need to go to the hospital. I, my head is just throbbing. He gets her, takes her to the hospital. They do some scans and they say, ma'am, you have a stage four brain tumor. You're about to die. Two weeks later, my dad put his mother's body in the ground. And here he is at 19 years old by himself. Dad has passed at 15. Mom died when he was 19. He's by himself, except he's not. 
because Sheridan Christian Assembly, Vep Ellis Jr. and LaVon Ellis and, and Frank Reeder and all these saints who over the last 10 years now, from nine to 19, have become his people. And they helped him settle the estate and sell homes and sell cars and, and figure out all the paperwork that no 19-year-old could ever figure out on his own. But my dad, in that worst time of his life, found that he had the family of God that surrounded him. And at 22, when my mom and dad stood to get married, you know who officiated their wedding? It was Vep Ellis, who found the little nine-year-old boy in the back of the church and refamilied him. And this is what the psalmist says God is like. Psalm 68 says that God is a father to the fatherless and he's a defender of widows. This is who God is in his holy dwelling. And Psalm 68 verse six, tattoo this on your soul. God sets the lonely into families. And through the church, God will use you here at Believer's Church, Boardman and, and TCI and right here in Warren. God will use you, those watching online, God will use you as you come together and you stay faithful and you live out this vow of stability in place. God will use you to refamily the world. I've seen it. You say, Daniel, you're so passionate about this. Yes, because my life wouldn't exist if it weren't for the church of Jesus. My dad was five years old, laying in bed, crying himself to sleep. All I want is a happy family one day. And he got swept up into that church. And my dad today has been a pastor and married to my mom for 45 years, four kids. He's got 14 grandchildren. And he's the happiest man I know. Why? Because God sets the lonely into families. And so I'm here today to implore you to be the people of God, to stay faithful. Your pastor's been here 40 years. They, they've led for 40 years. You got four decades of doing it right here in this valley, and I'm calling you to another four decades. I'm, I'm calling you to sign back up. Through the vow of stability, God will use you to refamily the world. Eugene Peterson, when he was toward the end of his life, pastor for 30 years, translated the Message Bible, wrote 35 books. He mentored me for 10 years, and Eugene was talking about the church at the end of his life, and he said, someone asked him, what is the church, Eugene? What is it? Boil it down for us. And he said, the church is a colony of heaven in a country of death. <laughs> We're not acting like it's not happening out there. We know what's happening, the social ills. We know about the wars and the rumors of wars. We're reading about Russia and Ukraine. We're understanding what's happening with the famine in Africa. We understand the plight of the, the, the underground church in the Middle East and in Asia. And we understand the poverty of Central and South America. We're not saying that's not happening. But what he says is that the church becomes this colony, this little pocket of heaven in a country of death. While we're waiting for God to come back and to make all things new, we carry each other across the finish line. We open our hearts. We bless each other. We pray for each other. We help the single, ones, uh, single parents among us raise our kids. And we honor and dignify and bless the elderly into their rest. And we don't care what you, how you vote. And we don't care what color you are. We don't care if you're rich or poor, educated or uneducated. We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and therefore made God's family. And so today, I'm calling you back to your vocation to be a colony of heaven in the country of death. And as you do, God will use you to refamily the world. Can you say amen today, church? What I want us to do is to pray. I want, uh, I want to just speak this blessing over you. And some of you are, are coming to Jesus now for the first time. You're new to this story and you're going, you know what, I, I feel like I'm that little kid, that little David who just shows up at the church and it's all new to me. Welcome to the family of God. <laughs> 
Welcome to the family of God. And what you do is you just keep saying yes to Jesus Christ because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and he'll lead you into the way of everlasting life. So if you're new to the story today, you're saying yes to Jesus, call on his name and let him refamily you. But if you're someone who's been around this story for a long time, I sense that the Lord wants to reinvigorate our faith today. The Lord wants to stir you back up today. The Lord wants to call you deeper today. So wherever you are on that continuum today, say yes to Jesus and let God reinvigorate your faith. And so Lord, today we call on you. Would you just right where you are, begin to call on the name of Jesus. There's something powerful about that name. When you don't know what to say, call the name of Jesus. And when you don't know what to do, call the name of Jesus. Jesus, we depend on you. We long for you. We call on you. And Lord, we ask for salvation today. Would you ask Jesus to save you and to deliver you today? Lord, you hear our cry. We call on the name of Jesus. But now, Lord, I pray over this congregation, Believer's Church, and I pray that you would pour out your spirit on them in fresh measure. I pray that you would make this place infectious with the life of God. I pray that you would make this place full of joy that becomes strength. I pray, Lord, that you'd cause their cups to overflow. And I pray that as they spill out into this community, into Steel Valley, into this region, Lord, I pray that they would be full of the spirit and that people would be saved and delivered and healed and called out of darkness and into marvelous light. Lord, set the lonely into families as you send your saints back out into this region. I pray today, bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Lord, lift your countenance upon them and grant them peace today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. So much love to you, Believer's Church. Thanks for having me today. At this time, I want to speak to those of you who were, Pastor Daniel was talking to, that you said, you know, maybe this is new to you. Maybe this is something that, Uh, You didn't see coming today, but that God is really inviting you into his family. You know, we we know from, from what Jesus taught us that when we place our faith in him, that we can have life, eternal life with him. But it's not like this isolated, individualistic thing. It's truly life in the family of God. And I don't know what your family life was like before today, but I do know this that if you accept that invitation into being called in and reborn and remade into God's family, that it is a decision that will change the rest of your life because you'll finally belong with God. You'll be his child. And so today I wanna just stay in this attitude of prayer. And I wanna invite every single person who's never made a decision to follow Jesus to do that very thing today. We know what separates us from God. We know that our sin is the thing that holds us back from being made right with God. But Jesus came. He lived the life you and I were supposed to live, that perfect life, but we never could. He died the death we were supposed to die, but he raised to life three days later so that you and I could have eternal life with him. And so today I'm gonna ask everybody to just close your eyes. Even if you're joining us in Boardman or TCI, or if you're watching online, unless you're driving, go ahead and close your eyes. And I wanna invite you into a relationship with Jesus where you place your faith in him. One thing we know that the Bible says is that every person who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so maybe today you're ready to call on the name of Jesus. We're gonna do something together as a church family. We're gonna pray. We're gonna make known to God what's going on in our hearts. And I wanna encourage you, if this is your moment to get right with God, to be brought into his family, to receive eternal life, 
then I'm gonna encourage you just pray with an attitude of faith and know that God will save you. Church, would you help me pray so no one prays alone? No matter where you are, would you say this? Say, Jesus, I need you. I know I'm a sinner and I know I need a savior. I repent of my old ways and I turn to you. Jesus, I believe you're God. You died for my sins and you rose to life again so I could have life with you. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I'm gonna follow you now. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.